Welcome to Our Parents Did What? A Tour of the Parenting Perils of Yesteryear. I'm Diane Aragona. And I'm your co-host, Jen Tierney. Join us as we travel back in time to take a look at the sometimes unbelievable history of parenting. Diane, how are you, my dear? Jen, I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time, but it's only been like two weeks, right? I know. It hasn't been very long at all. Time seems to have sort of slowed because now the days are filled with slightly less drudgery because it's so beautiful outside. Yes. And I have been seeing students in person again for the first time in in 15 months. So like there are things that I'm doing in my day that are not just going down into my dungeon of a basement and staring at my computer for hours. Yeah. Everything old is new again, Diane. Yes. I know. It's amazing. Before we dive into our episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to make a correction, oh, which we have not had to do yet, but no. I'm sure that we have gotten some things wrong on the show before. When I was editing the Jello Salad episode, I was like, I said something in this episode that I assumed was true at the time, but a quick Google can fix that. And I looked it up and Knox Jello is still available like in all major supermarkets. It's like the wow. unflavored gelatin that you get on the market. Like it's- Oh, so it's still only unflavored. Unflavored. I mean, I don't know if they have flavors. I won't say whether they do or don't because I don't know. <laughs> but they definitely have an unflavored Jello. And actually, I saw my friend Rachel last night, and she was like, "Nox is still a thing." And I was like, "I know. I found out. <laughs> I'll I'll fix it." <laughs> so this is me fixing it. At least you know when you can admit that you've made a mistake. That's that's huge. That's great. I want everyone to feel that they can trust us to give yes. you. Like I was reading. The new podcasting book by the McElroy brothers. Mm-hmm. Like they're like the kings of podcasting. And so I'm reading their book. And and in it, their wives do a section on being like co-hosts and doing research. And it's like everything that we present in this show, you could learn on your own by doing like 10 minutes of Google research. But the reason why you listen to this show is because you think Diane and I are adorable and great. So like, like we're the thing that makes the content good. The content itself is just like Google stuff. So like, you know, (laughs) I want you to trust us. Yes, that's true. But I also feel like there's plenty of stuff that I could Google, but would I think to Google it? Yeah. Would you think to do it or would you even care enough to do it? Like we're trying to make you care about things that, you know, your brain otherwise wouldn't have space for. Exactly. Sometimes rightfully so. Oh my goodness, possibly in today's episode, you'll go, I wish I didn't know some of that stuff. But anyway, so why don't we head on over into our mom moments? Let's do it. Okay, I have a really exciting one. Well, it's exciting for me. I have been working for months. When I say months, I mean many, many months to get my daughter to wear a mask. (laughs) And it has been a journey that I have not quite enjoyed (laughs) that requires a lot of patience that I don't have. (laughs) And so I started taking her on trips to the store for things that I knew I didn't need immediately. So I would say like, let's try to go to CVS and pick up shampoo. If we never make it in the store, it's okay. Yeah. I I just took away the expectation and said to myself, you're going to park in the CVS parking lot 
assuming you will never make it into the store. You're going to go to Petco, assuming you're not going to get in there. Because what I would do is I was like, I can't be wishy-washy. It's either you put your mask on and we go in the store or you don't put your mask on and we go home. It has to be one or the other. Yes. So I wouldn't even get her out of her car seat until she would put it on. So I would go over and I would be real sweet. And I'd say like, it's time to put your mask on. Help mommy put her mask on. Like, let's do this. And she wasn't even in the beginning, she was kind of like upset about it and tantrumy, but but it got to a point where she wasn't mad and that was worse. She would just go, no. And I'd say, if you don't put your mask on, we can't go in the store. Okay. <laughs> so do you want to go home? Okay. And I was like, if we go in the store, it'll be really fun. You could put your mask on and go in the store. No. <laughs> So we did this back and forth for a while and like I even I even took her to get ice cream one day. Ice cream. This child loves ice cream. Reed, do you want to go get ice cream? Yes. Do you want to put your mask on? No. You can't go get ice cream if you don't put your mask on. We have to go home. Okay. Can't win. So then finally, there was a morning where I had to go to CVS. I had to get a birthday card for like something happening later that day, but I had her with me. So I was like, all right make or break moment. I got to do this. So Jen, I made like three trips, maybe four from the driver's seat to her side of the car. Like, let's try again. Okay. Well, wait a second. Let's try again. And then I would go in the driver's seat and say, why don't you want to wear your mask? Are you scared? You know, like just trying to like talk to her about it. Yeah. So that day though, I did something a little bit different. The whole way to CVS, I sang a song that I made up. Let me sing it for you. <laughs> okay. We wear our masks at the store. They keep us safe so we can have fun some more. <laughs> okay, Daniel Tiger. <laughs> That's amazing. And I sang it the whole way to the store and it was that trip. She put her mask on and not only did she put it on, she kept it on the whole time she was in the store. She did not take it off. She did not pull it down. And I was so jazzed that when we were going to the checkout counter, there was like a display of Beanie Baby things and she mm -hmm. was like enamored with it. And I was like, yeah. you know what, kid? Pick out anyone you want. Yep. Go nuts. So of course she picks out not the little ones, but the giant aerial mermaid that's $25. And I was like, you know, I don't even care. I don't even care. <laughs> It's great. She was so well behaved and I was mm -hmm. so excited. And then literally from that moment on, it was like a switch went off and she got it. Oh, that's great. She wears it every time now. No problem. Knock on wood. Wow. That's <laughs> great. And now every time we get in the car, she'll say, mommy, mask song, mask song. And I'll, we wear our, and she'll go masks at the and like she she finishes it for me. So I I feel very happy that my yes, song works. That is a real success. <laughs> you did it. I have a different kind of success to report today. So Emma has like officially morphed into a six-year-old version of my husband, Joe, and all of his friends from growing up. Yesterday, she walked into the living room. We were all sort of like hanging out, reading books, and she goes, Everybody, be quiet. And and Joe goes, why? She goes, so you can hear this. Two second pause. Giant, giant fart. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, let's 
<laughs> the timing was perfect. The comedic moment, she just like hit it perfectly. She was like, I know what this moment needs. I need to come into the room and announce myself and then like time my fart perfectly. She was waiting for that moment. She was. She was so proud of herself. She was like, yes. Like she was so excited. <laughs> it was like, oh my God. That's hysterical. It was really funny. So it was a real, that was a big win for her. It was a really, really big triumph. <laughs> Joe looked at me. He was like, I'm just so proud of her. <laughs> a little tear in his eye. I know. He was so happy. I was like, stop it. Oh my gosh. So I've been thinking about this episode only for the last two days because I only just picked my topic the other day. But I've been thinking about it nonstop for the last two days because I have a lot of I have a lot of like personal emotions mixed up in this topic. Not this topic oh. specifically, but like the the wider topic. So you'll have to like excuse me as I work my way through this episode. But oh, I'm interested. I know. So the reason why I suddenly decided to go with the topic that I did yesterday, or I guess two days ago, was because I woke up and as it does every single year pride just came out of nowhere and i forgot oh wait it's this month yeah <laughs> every every year and i see all the posts happy pride happy pride and i'm just like oh my how do i always forget when it is every year so i was like i'm going to do something for pride i'm going to do something for pride on the podcast yes yes so first before we do anything I wanted to take a moment for me because, well, it's pride. Um, I've never, I've told a lot of individual people, oh. but this feels like a good time. Right, Diane? Yeah. Let it out. I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell my truth. So, and, and there are like a number of pretty like critical people that don't know this about me. So, this will be a really fun, you know, like I'll get some phone calls afterwards and have to explain myself, but hopefully I won't because I really don't want to deal with other people's emotions. No, that's not really your job. Right? That's not my job. So anyway, hi, my name's Jen Tierney and I'm pansexual. Yay. I have been my whole life and yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing to be mm -hmm. when you live a life that I do because it is very often totally erased. Like it's people are like shocked when I tell them because I have a husband and three children and my life looks pretty standard as like a straight white lady. But none of that is true. Um, I mean, it's true that I have a husband and three children, but right. what I have to sometimes remind people is like Joe could have been Joanne or he could have been born Joanne or he could have been born Joe and now be Joanne. Like, right, <laughs> right. Any, he could have been anything. He just happens to be my person. But my internal workings just allow me to love all the people. So over the last few years, I've gone through a lot of like trying to figure out exactly like, what is Jen? What is Jen? Because I didn't have – growing up in the 90s was really like – I don't know. I didn't grow up in a town that had very much representation for queer kids. Hmm. And the kids who were queer were really horribly treated. So it was really like, just be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't let right. anybody know how you feel ever. So that was sort of hard 
And for a very, very, very long time, I considered myself to be bi. And then I had this like perfect storm of pieces of media that that came into my life that sort of made me realize what was actually going on inside of me. And one of them, as I'm sure most people will very easily say that they identified with was that wonderful scene in Schitt's Creek when David is looking to buy a bottle of wine and is explaining that like sometimes he likes white and sometimes he likes red and it doesn't really matter what the label says just what's inside it he can like all the wines and I was just like oh man yeah David I feel that and then I there there's a big debate in the queer community about or I guess like it, it's weird because I'm not super involved in the queer community because of the, I don't know, the nature of my life. Like online, I'm in some communities, but that's mm-hmm. really it. And there seems to be this real big struggle between bisexuals and pansexuals, not always, but sometimes because pansexuality is sometimes seen to be a way to erase bisexuality, which is sort of an interesting debate <laughs> and not for this podcast, but yeah. The thing that really like resonated with me, someone came into the conversation and said, when you're bisexual, there's a box of like 10 crayons and you like anywhere from two to 10 of those crayons in there. That makes you bisexual. You like yourself and others. Whereas pansexual is I like every single crayon in the box. Right. Without exception. Bisexual is I might like eight of them or I might like six of them, mm-hmm. probably not every single one. So I, when I heard that, I was like, oh, that explains so much. Yeah. Anyway, with that little bit of personal history out of the way, I wanted to talk to you about something that I think the heavens I have never experienced. Oh, no. Although I think if the circumstances had been right, I could have. <laughs> We're going to talk about the history of conversion therapy. I knew we were going there after you said that. <laughs> oh no. Mm. Okay. Oof. All right. Let me let me strap in here. Buckle up. Yeah. So I mean, I'm going to be very like surface level with this because there's a there's a lot here that's really horrifying. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to touch on so much of that because yeah. I mean, let's just face it, the practice is torture. The end. So I'm not going to go into the details of the torture. No. But let's talk about where it started and, you know, where it is today and that kind of stuff. But um, I, I will not, I will spare you the the horrific details of, you know, oh. some of what goes on in this practice. This is ridiculous. I'm interested to, to hear where it is today because I think being like in the Northeast, we live in kind of a bubble where to me, I'm like, oh, that's like not even a thing anymore, but I'm sure it is. <laughs> it is definitely still a thing. So, all right. Historically, for centuries, prior to like the late 1800s, historically, there had been this belief that homosexuality, but specifically man-to-man homosexuality, was seen as deviant, sinful, and sometimes criminal. And so leading like all the way through like the 1700s and the 1800s there was this like push to try to figure out how to like cure homosexual how do we get rid of this thing so in the late 19th century that was when psychiatrists and doctors really started like heading down a path towards research they were like this isn't just a thing that we think we want to get like we're going to figure out how to do it Mm -hmm. and so 
1899, so like right before the turn of the century, this German psychiatrist whose name is Albert von Schrenk-Notzing. What a name. I know. S-C-H-R-E-N-C-K-N-O-T-Z-I-N-G. Wow. It's a big name. So he gets up on stage at this like conference or presentation or whatever, and he says, everyone, I have discovered a cure for homosexuality. I have conducted hypnotherapy sessions on this man here. We conducted 45 sessions, and I brought him to a brothel a number of times, and now he no longer feels same-sex attraction, and he, he will henceforth only be attracted to women. And people went crazy. They were like, he's done it. He's figured it out. Now we know that we can cure it. Like as soon as people knew that they could cure it, it was like just the floodgates opened. Oh God. So <laughs> thanks, Albert. Um, so so throughout the 20th century, conversion therapy was like a really common practice. It was, it was like doctors, psychiatrists, all like it was a medical practice. Was it done on children yet or was it mostly done on adults? Do we know? I think it was, uh, yeah, I think like as soon as there was any sort of like sexual deviance identified, it was like okay. immediate. It was like, you you seem to have like gender confusion. We'll stick right. you over in this hospital and see Ugh. if we can get, get it out of you. So, So there were a few different theories on where homosexuality and gender identity came from. Right. And so there was an Austrian endocrinologist, Eugen, Eugen, E-U-G-E-N, Eugen Steinach. Good for you. Lovely Achlaut. Oh, I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. So, so this guy, he, um, he believed that homosexuality originated from the testicles so if you wanted to rid a man of homosexuality oh. Diane, you had to rid him of his testicles so this is this is really focused on male homosexuality yeah i mean it eventually wasn't as much but like initially it was really like men loving other men was seen as like like truly disgusting whereas women loving other women was like oh they're probably just really good girlfriends who like to like Mm. you know cross stitch together or whatever you know mm. and it wasn't seen as like this deviant behavior so basically they would castrate men if they believed that they were homosexual and then for a time they even gave men testicle transplants to give them heterosexual testicles none of this makes sense right <laughs> what so so yes bonkers so there were other people who did not believe this. They believed that it was a psychological problem. Okay. Our dear friend Sigmund Freud now shows up. Ugh. But he is on like the right side of history here. Oh. So he believed that everyone is born bisexual. And whether you end up being homosexual or heterosexual depends on your situation when you were growing up and which of your parents you most identified with and which one you were closer to or whatever. And he didn't believe that either sexuality was good or bad. They were just new, they were just your sexuality. Oh. So I was like, all right, Sigmund Freud, way to go. Good job. But he was like super duper in the minority on this. So his contemporaries believed that it was a psychological problem that 
could be fixed, like for sure could be fixed with the modern practices that were used to fix other psychological problems. So what were frequently used to treat homosexuality was electroshock therapy Uh and lobotomies. Oh, God. We should do the history of the lobotomy one day. The other thing that was really common is what's known as aversion therapy. And this will be familiar to anyone who has ever sat down and watched A Clockwork Orange. So essentially, you give the person some sort of chemical that makes them so sick that they vomit. And while they are vomiting, you show them pictures of their lover. Right. God, so horrible. Just horrible. So there's that kind of stuff. They would inflict terrible pain on them while showing them homoerotic pornography or, you know, like anything like that. Or or they'd, for men who like to cross-dress, they would dress them up in the clothing that they preferred and then like horribly beat them. So, you know, it was really like we can we can make a bad correlation to these things in your brain and reprogram you to think that what you are experiencing naturally inside of yourself is bad. Mm. (sighs) So all this time throughout like the 1900s um, up until the 70s, when finally like the gay rights movement started like really picking up steam, homosexuality was a medical disease like it was it was like an illness and it wasn't until 17 or 1973 that the APA removed homosexuality from the DSM as a psychiatric disorder but but Diane they replaced it with sexual orientation disturbance and so sexual orientation disturbance and the thing that followed it which was ego dystonic homosexuality these two things basically say you are homosexual but you don't want to be you are trying to change yourself into the image of yourself that you, let me see if I can get the actual definition. It was a sexual orientation or an attraction that is at odds with one's self-image. So the whole idea was if your sexual orientation or your gender identity was not wanted, then conversion therapy could be used on you. So this really like legitimized using conversion therapy so it was like a political move of like, well, we can't right. we can't let it be in the DSM as a psychiatric disorder anymore, but we know that like people still want to practice conversion therapy. So we'll reword it this way so that like if you don't want to be this way, you can still go to conversion therapy. However, Diane, as you know, minors didn't get to make decisions <sighs> about these things. So this no. is why we're talking about it on this episode, because this is where parents come into the problem. So this is like a parent-driven issue where parents were like, oh, it's not a psychiatric illness anymore, but my kid obviously doesn't want to be gay. He's confused. She doesn't really think that she's a boy. She's confused. I'll bring her to this doctor and he'll fix her. Right. So in 1987, homosexuality was finally removed from the DSM, like totally. However... It wasn't until 2013 that gender identity disorder was removed. Yep. I know. I remember that. My goodness. Like, there are people in my life who just don't get this. They just don't get it. I don't know if it's because there's like a, a different life experience or a, a, even like a generational thing or what, but like- Yeah. I, I do think it's a generational thing to a certain extent, but what I what I have said to people who really can't wrap their brains around it because of- they're in a different generation or whatever is 
you don't have to get it, but it's also none of your business and you have no say. <laughs> so yeah. like, you know, like it's fine. You don't get it. Okay. But it's, you ha- you can't say anything about it, you know, cause it's, it doesn't apply to you. So yeah. <laughs> There's nothing to do with you, exactly. And I think that is very much one of the reasons why I've always been very, only my very closest friends I'll talk to about like who I truly am because it sort of is no one's business and I'm not living that life presently right. where, you know, like I, it's one of the many privileges I have in my life that I don't have to have any of those struggles because I didn't marry a woman. I didn't marry right. someone who wasn't a straight man, you know? And so right. you're not presenting as queer necessarily all the time. So you, it doesn't maybe come up in conversation. Exactly. To some extent, any sort of coming out always felt like a very selfish act because like who the hell cares and what business is it of theirs? Meh. So, but I don't know. I'm glad I did it anyway. So <laughs> yeah. And you know, you may inspire someone else because honestly, Jen, who cares what anyone else thinks? If you feel like you're hiding a part of yourself, then you're not really truly being who you are. And so even if it is a little selfish to be like, hey, I will be more myself if I let this out, then yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I I feel like that's a big part of it. And I, I think in the back of my head, the thing that's always been a hurdle for me is that Joe, he is always known from one of the very first days I met him, I was just very open and honest about it and it, ne- it never phased him at all. He was like, yeah, okay, cool. And it's always something that's been a part of who I am around him. And I worry a little bit about how people who will not understand will interact with our relationship moving forward because I don't mm-hmm. want it to impact him. I don't want people to think that like like I'm in a monogamous committed relationship with my husband. Right. Like <laughs> nothing is changing that. There's nothing about my life that's going to be different tomorrow than it was today or than it was, you know, 10 years ago. Anyway, let's continue on this roller coaster from hell. <laughs> <laughs> I'm usually the one that does the bad, the sad and bad topics. <laughs> I'm trying to like approach this with a can you believe this kind of mindset so that yes. I'm not as upset about it. So At this point, once it's removed from the DSM, once it's no longer like a a medical illness, doctors totally distanced themselves from treating people for queerness. They really took a big step back. And that created a vacuum. And I'm sure you know who filled that vacuum. (laughs) Who treated all the children who were homosexual once the doctors didn't? The Catholic Church? (laughs) All the religions, Diane, all okay. the religions, not even, not just the Catholic, all the religions, like every religion on the planet, not every religion, but many religions on the planet are like, homosexuality is bad, we will fix you. Christians and Catholics are notoriously bad for it. Out of that come camps, schools, conferences that are just run by these religious groups to fix your kids. And today, actually, I was doing I was doing my my myriad research, and I came across this movie. There are many movies about this. They all look fabulous. I'm going to watch them all because there's nothing I love more than a teenage drama about how adults are the shittiest. <laughs> um, <laughs> like Saved is an amazing movie. If you haven't seen that, I know I love that movie. So today, I watched like the first half of the Miseducation of Cameron Post, which I'd never heard of before. But I was very delighted within the first 10 minutes to find out that John Gallagher Jr. is in it. Do you know him? I don't know who that is. 
He was in Spring Awakening. He was the guy with the crazy hair. Oh, oh, oh. Moritz. Yes. Yeah, he played Moritz. Oh, he's... Oh, okay, cool. He plays Reverend Rick, the, like, reverend of the school that's trying oh, to convert no. all the kids. It's real wacky. <laughs> I'm like, I can't watch you in this role. It's no, so- it's a polar opposite. His character is a, like, reformed same-sex attraction person. Oh. God. It's wild. And he has a girlfriend at the camp. And I'm just like, oh, stop. This is ridiculous. So I can't wait to see where his storyline goes. Yeah. <laughs> I hope he's having a secret romance with somebody. But anyway, it's horrifying. The, one of the things that was really upsetting about it was that, like, her guardians in the story, her parents are, have died. And she's with these guardians. And they've just, like, driven her out to the middle of nowhere and dumped her at the school and forced her to sign a contract to, like, stay there until she's fixed. Oh, God. And it's a school. And she gets into the classroom because, like, they have kids of all different ages there. And she gets into the classroom with all the other kids. And she's like, what grade are you in now, honey? And she's like, 11th. And she's like, I think I have that one. And I'm like, Jesus. (laughs) And you know that this is, like, this is 100% what must be happening. Like, it can't be that they just made up this, like (laughs) – fictional it it must be based on true events so i was just like oh just ridiculous and and like i'm not against religious freedom i am against people taking advantage of a religious freedom to take advantage of other people yes of course stealing someone of their identity and of their education is that it should be a sin so there i said it anyway as i'm sure we can all agree this is essentially torture. And in some cases, there's evidence that as a method of curing adolescents and adults during conversion therapy, sexual abuse and rape was involved because they were like, you should like this. Right. We're going to do this to you now. Mm-mm. However, so on, on a positive-ish note, in the U.S. today, it is illegal to perform conversion therapy in 20 states. Not enough, I say. No. It's also banned in D.C. and Puerto Rico and in 86 counties all over the United States. It should be banned everywhere. Do yourself a favor. Don't read any articles about why banning conversion therapy is bad for kids. Oh, God. That's an argument that people make, and it made me want to lose my mind. (laughs) So... I can't even. It's like the argument that J.K. Rowling infamously makes of like some kids don't know what they want. Some kids are confused. And if you just let them change their gender or like dive headfirst into a deviant sexuality, then you're setting them up for something that they can't undo later or that they can't that they can't get away from later. You're creating a habit that they, you know, blah, 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 blah. And maybe that's not who they truly are. And you need to let them like grow into their actual selves. I can see an argument for not making any permanent changes to your body until like your body's done changing, but like, or until you're an adult yourself, like I can see an argument for that. But at the same time, like trying to, trying to like convince your kid that they aren't who they think they are. I can't think of a, a, a more harmful thing to do to a child yeah. If your parents and your family and the people who are supposed to care most about you don't understand you so much that they won't allow you to be yourself, then what are you? And then that just sets you up for, I don't know. So 
ready for some fun statistics? And by fun, I mean not fun at all. (laughs) Hit me with them. All right. So more than 700,000 queer folks, LGBTQ plus individuals have undergone conversion therapy. 78% of them report that it was conducted on them when they were minors. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. I said, I've said, oh, God, 85 times in this episode because I just, everything is, is just. It's just worse than the next thing. I know. Yeah. It's horrible. It's often insisted upon by parents and guardians. So all of like the statistics kind of back up that, you know, that fact. This is a parent problem. So that's why we're talking about it. Our parents right. say, what? Why are they still doing this? Because they are. <laughs> they expect that 80,000 minors will experience conversion therapy in the coming years. 80,000. It's insane. This is obviously a form of family rejection. And with family rejection comes a lot of really bad things. So I'm going to give you some more stats about the difference between people who undergo conversion therapy and people who are allowed to just be themselves um, and exist in the <laughs> world and are accepted by their families. Conversion therapy is linked to a three times higher rate of suicide attempts. It doubles the rate of depression. And as adults, people who went through conversion therapy have lower socioeconomic status, less educational attainment, and lower incomes. So don't try to convert your kids. Not a good idea. It's just bad for them all around. So anyway, that's what I had to say about that. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) So, yeah, it's still a really big problem. And I just like I was thinking about when I was young, I went to church a lot. I was very religious and I constantly was in this like internal battle because I had so many crushes on so many different people, many of whom were not straight boys. And I... I had a really hard time because I loved church for what it gave me in lots of other ways. And I always sang in the choir. And I remember distinctly when I, when I was like, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. I was a senior and I was like just about ready to go to college. And I had been part of the youth ministry program at the church for like three years. And I like ran all the retreats and I was like BFFs with the pastor. And like, it was just, kind of gross and there was this kid who was just like the next me he was like like I was like grooming him to take over for me when I left and he was just like the sweetest sweetest guy and I could tell I was just like he's like he's gay 100% and he I was working on getting ready for a an upcoming retreat one night in like the rectory and he like comes in out of nowhere and he's like crying and he's so upset And he's like, my parents just threw me out of the house. I came out to them. And he was like this golden child. Like he was, he was at church like multiple times a week. And he just, I don't know. He was such a sweet guy. And the church and his parents just like chewed him up and spit him out because it was just, it was like all I remember anyone saying at that time was just like, love the sinner, hate the sin. No. He's such a, he just wants to like sing God's praises that's it that's all he wants to do and I was just like I can't I can't I can't do this anymore and I had already decided I was going to study religious studies in school and and it was funny because like the first class that I had to take was on Buddhism it wasn't on Catholicism and as soon as I took the class I was like I'm done with religion like I'm just (laughs) I like I really love Buddhism and I was like if I love Buddhism 
and I have such a problem with the Catholic Church. I think I'm just done. I think I just need to have yeah. my own internal faith and just be done with all this stuff. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. that's why I just just listening to NPR this morning and they they I don't remember the statistic, but right now the lowest number of Americans belong to a church than in any other time in history. I don't know. Just let people who be who they want to be and love them and support them. And I have seen, I have to say, like, I have seen some of the best, most heartening, life-affirming, gender-affirming, identity-affirming content from religious leaders. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, thank you so much. Like, thank you for the work that you're doing. Because, like, I just... Anytime I see someone who is religious, who is who is giving that message to the world, I'm like, yes, if we have that version of religion, I will come back. I will come back. Yeah. I'm happy to be there. I don't I cannot sit in a room where people are telling me I can't be who I am. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And I'm not religious at all, <laughs> but uh, but I sing at a church. I mean, at my job. So I'm at mass every week usually. And I'm lucky to work at a church that is extremely accepting and they have an LGBTQ plus like club and they march in pride. The Our pastor marches in the pride parade in New York wow. City sometimes. I mean, That's like great. it's, it's, a, and it's a Catholic church, but the the problem for me is that's fine and good, but the institution as a whole has too many problems Yeah, and too many things that I, I can't stomach. Yeah. And I know so many wonderful Catholics who are completely accepting and amazing people and are really living the Catholic faith the way it should be. Yes. And then I know lots of Catholics who are not doing that. It is really, it's very it's frustrating. Hard. Yeah. And I, I'm very happy anytime I see any, anyone from a faith that, that has been in conflict with that, you know, take, take a different stance on things. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe we're, maybe we're going to turn yeah. Kind of corner. Because if you are a religious leader, people listen to you. People listen to you like like a lot. Yeah. If you're like a counselor, you are a you are a person who is your opinion matters. You know, hopefully the good thing now is that, you know, with with the internet and social media, mm -hmm. there are a lot of outlets and communities and educational resources for parents of queer children who maybe don't get it or are upset but are willing to learn, you know, hopefully that kind of community feeling will help to change things. There are so many people who are different from you and different from me. The world is full of unique people and and we live in a time where we can be so close to all those people. We can learn mm -hmm. so much about them and understand their worldview and understand their experiences in a way that we never could before. So if you don't get it, it's kind of your own fault. If you don't get it, there are so many people talking and providing for free mm -hmm. an explanation. So go out, do a very small amount of research and your entire worldview will be open. So it's yep. it doesn't take a whole lot, um, which is quite nice um, that we live in that in that time. Absolutely. I've had this thought on a number of occasions about um, when parents find out that their child is something other than what they assumed they were. And there are some people from our generation who who feel guilty when they find something out and they feel badly about it. 
They're like, I feel bad that I feel bad. Right. That this person told me this thing about themselves. I want to be just accepting and happy about it like immediately. And as someone who is queer and has been queer their entire life, I think it's okay to feel bad for a moment because you have just learned something that changes your entire perspective on that individual. And that's hard. Like you can take a moment to go, wow, I didn't know. Yeah. (laughs) And be a little bit taken aback by it and to have to process that. But then you have to accept the reality that is now in front of you. You either accept it or you just don't talk about it anymore. That's right. The end. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) If you've ever been made to feel like who you really are is not who you should be, I sincerely apologize to you. And and I I have not been there very many times, but that's partially because I've been so, you know, reserved about who I share myself with. I'm deeply sorry if you've ever been made to feel like you weren't enough just being you. Because you are. Mr. Rogers says that. You're yes. perfect just the way you are. I like you just the way you are. Yeah. I hope that all of these things that we talked about today is not something you've ever experienced. Um, But if it is and you feel that you must tell us, please do. We're always happy to hear stories. If it would improve your life at all, we're happy to listen. So yes, if you ever want to talk to us about your pride moments, your happy or sad moments, let us know. We're always here for them. We're happy to hear about any mom moments you've faced. If you have a pride-related mom moment, have you taken your kid to a pride parade? We'd love to hear about it. Kids are great at pride parades. I love seeing kids at pride parades. I know. So you can send us emails at opdwpodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok at opdwpodcast. I think that's all the places. That's it. That's it. And our music is by Theo Rosenberg. So thank you, Theo. Theo, who is graduating high school soon. Yeah, Theo. Go get him, man. All right, Jen. Until next time. Happy Pride, folks. <laughs>